Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. This is Jeremy from the Dirty Skirts. You are listening to Concerts That Made Us. Tick 
you're very welcome to concerts that made us. It's such a pleasure to be here, Brian. Hello, everyone. It's brilliant to have you now. I'm looking forward to getting some insights into your music. So you guys just released a new EP, Radiant Clouds. It's your first release since winning the South African Music Award for Best Alternative Album of the Year for Lost in the Fall in 2012. First off, what can you tell us about the new EP? Yeah, so the new EP is an exploration. We started writing uh, during lockdown uh, remotely, just sending files backwards and forwards in, in Ableton Live. And and it was just amazing writing like that. Like it, it, the, the crazy thing is we hadn't written for like eight years or whatever else it was. And it was just like, bam, there was this energy and there, there was the creativity. We have no idea exactly where we're going creatively. There's absolutely no plan uh, we're really just tumbling through the sky and we may just obliterate ourselves when we land on the ground, but it's a beautiful, beautiful fall. Right, right. And, you know, normally when a band wins like an award for best album, they keep going. What happened? Why has it taken so long? You know, we had such a good run. You know, we started in 2004 um, and we did, it was just like our experiences was in South Africa. We, we were just on this continual upward curve all the way through and it was just this escalating thing of like you know we started playing to 15 people wearing really horrible white suits because we thought that was cool for a few weeks before we did that and then the clubs got bigger and the crowds got bigger and then there was festivals and then you know um you know releasing albums and really releasing a lot of material we became a big festival circuit kind of band um but just to give you a kind of a context is like None of us had actually seen friends for a New Year's Eve for like eight years or something like that. And people, you know, we we're all getting a bit older and, there, you know, it's a stork dropped a few children down a few chimneys and like life happened. Um, and I think we were just like, oh, I think, you know, we've done this. This is so beautiful. We're going to just stop doing it. And then, we'll, you know, if we come back together, that's beautiful. But that was the, exactly the right thing to do at that time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, was there any apprehension about releasing new music, getting back together and writing together again? Were you afraid maybe the fans wouldn't be there anymore? Well, you know, I, maybe not. I mean, I'd say the reality is is that, like, you know, the last time we released music, there were actually CDs involved. And, uh, I mean, you know, a lot's changed in 10 years or eight years. It's like it's radical and the environment's shifting all the time. We're all pretty digital marketing savvy and that kind of thing. But, you know, we got like a ton of followers on Facebook, but, you know, from back then. But like if we post something new about the release, we get like six likes. So the engagement algorithms, you're like, we're, you know, we've got to restart really everything. So I think it's more like as opposed to being afraid of putting out material, it's more like just a little stone cold wake up to releasing material in 2023 we got to, we got, we're going to have to hustle in a different way. You know, there was a time when we would stick and glue posters together and do like kind of crazy sort of artful things. You know, now we got to do that digitally. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a, it's a tough one. You know, it's, I hate the algorithms because I feel like if you miss one, mess up one post, that's it. You're gone for like six months. They're not going to show your stuff to anyone, you know? Uh, dead in the water. Exactly. Yeah, it's cold and it's cruel. It's, you know, the bots are cold and cruel. And uh, and yeah, we haven't quite worked out how to carry their favor. And But, you know, we're, we're making music. We're loving making music. And we got kind of a strong, let's just say a strong 
hustle slash game. And I was like, we're, we're good. We're lifers for this thing, let's just say. And so it's really just a question of working on how to be as creative as possible with, with the constraints of having to do digital marketing. I mean, it's like, it, it sucks, but it's real. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, once you guys were back together, did you notice that the sound or you guys had changed much? Well, you know, we we already, as our albums had done a kind of a progression and we always explored, like Lost in the Fall that we won the South African Music Award was kind of a little darker. It, it was a definitely pre-apocalyptic kind of, there's always pre-apocalyptic tension in our music and that's still there. I would just say maybe we like rounded out like our waistlines had expanded and you could feel that in the music a little bit. It's maybe a little bit less urgent, but we'll see, you know, we'll see. We'll probably pull back some of that urgency. We were always a a little bit urgent as if we didn't have much time left and what were we going to do with this short, sweet next moment. The record, it seems very socially aware. What do you hope people get from it? You know, we've we've always, I've always like, I, you know, as a lyricist, I've I've been dreaming about us, about the waters rising forever. If you go back into our music from like two thousand and six, there would be lines like Cape Town is under the ocean, bobbing bottles of suntan lotion, a coconut oil slick spreads out across the sea. You know, it's co- coconut oil, suntan lotion, and it was always like the waters were going to rise and we're all going to die. Um, without it being necessarily nihilistic or, or or sad sack thing like that, it's just been a kind of an underlayer amidst like really personal things. So like this, you know, I I I'm also, you know, I, I also I'm a trauma facilitator. I'm deeply interested in in how we get wounded and 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 depression and anxiety. And I've had my fair share of trauma and depression and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. So I love getting real about that stuff. If you listen to the new release, like Numb and Fronting that we that we released today, is really just about being shut down, totally messed up, but kind of just putting out that 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 face to the world as so many of us do. And um, yeah, so it's kind of like, you know, there's stories of getting real, but also finding, it's called Radiant Clouds for a reason, finding the radiance in in a way, even if if it's a chemical haze cloud glinting in the sun, it's still beautiful. <laughs> um, <laughs> that chemtrail is so beautiful in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Right. And um, I suppose at this stage, we'll dive into your history to give the, the listeners a sense of where you came from musically. So if you can, can you remember your earliest musical memory? Ooh, you know that that'll be from my 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 father who was not a musician or is not a musician, but is a, was an avid collector. Back in the day, he used to get those gramophone magazine or gra- gramophone books of ratings of all the best music. You know, this is long before Pitchfork or anything. So I was brought up around a lot of really good music. Uh, so I remember just being actually on a deck in Toronto, a wooden deck in summer, and beautiful music being played and people dancing. And so I was brought up around a ton of music. Yeah. And, you know, during your teenage years then, what kind of music were you being exposed to and how do you think it eventually influenced you into the musician you are today? It really, really, really did, actually. You know, like, I just loved kind of gothic, post-punk kind of music um, uh, and some electronica, but a lot of that stuff. And so, you know, 
yeah so it was a deep influence like bands like the cure and joy division and uh and then shoegazy kind of music like my bloody valentine and uh you know a lot of that kind of stuff is there even though we've traveled our own path yeah and what was the local music scene like now when you were coming up was this very vibrant was there plenty of gigs to go to no, that, that was a weird thing is we arrived at this weird kind of lull in the Cape Town and South African scene. And there were a few ba- few of us bands. There were some absolutely mesmerizing other bands. And we all just like erupted at the same time. And, and we there was just like a ton of energy. And it kind of coincided a little bit with the indie explosion of 2005, 6, 7. And whether it was like... Or the killers, or just or block party, or whatever the heck else it was. It just happened. I have, you know, we we all had similar music roots to those bands, so our timing was just really good. We, yeah. Anyway, so there was there was a scene, and it exploded at the time that we exploded. Our timing was just lucky. So, but you know, like small clubs to suddenly there were TV cameras all over the place. We were just like, we were shitting ourselves a lot. On the ascent. Yeah, I could imagine. Oh, my goodness. And a bit of a tough question, but looking back at those days then, what do you credit your success with? I think it was timing. I'd say uh, energy. We had like a lot of energy. You know, we we would. We were, you know, we were pretty artful, I suppose, at the time. And we were taking a lot of risks and playing. And everything was just about breaking rules and doing things differently. Um so I'd say that, I'd say some savvy, you know, like uh, we worked hard on our marketing too, you know, like like we were just like, we want to do this and we want people to hear us. And so if that involves slapping up posters at 3 a.m. with glue onto the, all the walls, then we'll just do that. Um, so I'd say that and then and then just some, some the music also caught people. You know, we, we started with just like a drum machine and three of us and a lot of effects in the music. If you listen to our first EP, which is on Spotify and all the things, you know, we had a drum machine then. So we, we were just like a kind of a weird band with a drum machine and uh, three of us playing this kind of weird indie-ish stuff. Some of it, some of the tracks are cool and some of them are, you know, some of them are just like a like a little lame and, you know. What <laughs> happens? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear about this now. As a concert goer, what concerts do you think have made you? So um, one concert that will is etched, like burnt into my cranium uh, in black gold it was The Cure, um, supported by um, Love and Rockets, who are ex-Bauhaus, and The Pixies. Oh, my God. <laughs> just like, it was just unbelievable and and i would say just another huge one would be radiohead you know, saw them in spain and i just you know i love them and that was just like me and a thousands of spaniards crying you know <laughs> <laughs> and what makes a good show for you what needs to happen for you to walk away from that gig saying that was one of the best i've seen yeah, I would say one is energy, um, two is authenticity. Um, so one is just energy, like this ability to capture 
kilowatts of turbocharged power, like a kind of superhuman power levels. And I think that's one of the things that, that we kind of worked out how to do live. I don't know, it just sort of came naturally that we'd, I'd like, you know, we'd push each other around the stage and we'd just get naughty and bad. And, you know, we used to drink too much initially until we learned that we were really shocking as a live band when we were completely drunk out of our skulls. So we <laughs> couldn't do that anymore because this is bad for shows. But lots of energy, I'd say emotion and real connection with the audience, like really being prepared to go to places. Um, yeah, I think those, those those are some of them, emotion and, and, and intensity and energy and, and just authenticity, like realness. With that stuff. But this, it's kind of weird because it's like hyper real too. You know, it's not just like I'm going to be my my lazy belly scratching net watch, Netflix watching self in front of <laughs> 10,000 people. But it's it's willing being willing to slow things down, like you know, just everything. Let's just stop mm. and slow everything down. Everyone's amped. It's just like slow down and then slowly build again into ah, the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> and now this one for any listeners that haven't caught one of your shows, what can they expect? Give them the full experience if you can. I would just say like a ton of energy. So imagine like a cross of um, uh, maybe uh, flattering, flattering us a little bit. Freddie Mercury meets um, David Bowie meets um, maybe Red, Red Hot Chili Peppers from a kind of an energy point of view. You know, we we jump, we we you know, it, it's just we're flying and and and. But there's also a lot of love in it, but there's also some wild, like wildness. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. Loving and wild and crazy and, uh, but also hopefully deep, like an experience where we feel things too. Sounds like one hell of a time. Now, in the past, you've toured the UK and the USA and you've shared the stage with Oasis, Snow Patrol, Evanescence, Three Doors Down, Billy Talent and Stained. When you're playing on that level, what do you learn? Um, sure, you know, I love those stages, you know, but but it's also like it's so darn real. Like I always tell a story of playing in front of 20, 25,000 people in Johannesburg. We're supporting Oasis and Snow Patrol and a ton of folk. And um, it's in Johannesburg, it's it's at, at altitude and it's dry and like it's so dry that it just wicks all the moisture of your, out of your vocal cords unless you live up there. And I got up there and I, I had some big frogs in my throat in the middle of some of our sort of hit singles, that kind of stuff. And I did fine, but it wasn't, it was not amazing. But I got off the stage mortified. You know, it's just not good enough. And I'm always just thoughtful about, you know, the, the number of times I've watched Adele at least twice, absolutely murdered, but not in a good way, for performances at the Grammys. And I suppose what I'm saying is, is like the production values are so incredible and, and it's so incredible doing those shows, but it's also so utterly humbling and it's so human and it's so imperfect. And most people don't necessarily hear those imperfections. Anyway, so it's just like it's a very dramatically human and hyper real and awesome experience at the same time. It's very difficult to parse the, the humanity of it and the kind of ultra humanity of it. And sometimes that can leave you, it can it can fuck with your personality, with your personality and your ego and, and who you think you are. You know, I've, I've become some distorted versions of myself along the way. <laughs> right, right. 
Yeah. And out of all the gigs you've played in, is there one that sticks out in your mind as maybe the best experience you've had? I've got two. One one is the show after that one where I'm uh, in Johannesburg where my voice cracked and it was not great because the next day we played in Cape Town and it was, you know, it was on a massive farm, again, 20-something thousand people and just a massive crowd, but mountains all around because Cape Town's so beautiful. And, and it was a summer's day and it was just glorious. And that day, it was just one of those things where the stars aligned and I just, and I and we nailed it. And it's just not always like that. And another one that I'll mention is in Cape Town, there's the National Gardens that are right adjacent to Table Mountain. And it's just this mountain pouring up. And there's a show there um, where you play, let's say, five, 10,000 people at the Kirstenbosch Gardens. And um, it's probably the most beautiful live venue on planet Earth. I mean, I'm, you know, I love Cape Town, but it really is. And so just surrounded by that amount of nature and beauty and a lot of families picnicking and all this kind of thing, it's really, really beautiful. And I'll never forget that day also because... Our guitarist, um, he had produced a daughter at that point, and uh, she was at show. And I remember us sound checking, and 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 then him going out and swinging her around him in, on the grass. And it was just like it was a, you know, it's just like life. It's beautiful life. Yeah, that that actually sounds like one of the most perfect memories. And not to get too negative now, but to flip it around, is there one that maybe sticks in your head as the worst experience and how did you deal with it? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I would say there were plenty that were super crappy, you know, like getting up to a festival stage, you're putting in-ears into your ears, you know, you're plugging these things in, so now you're walled off inside this. But when you turn it on and you start the first song, you basically got roaring white noise going into your ear because the monitoring engineer is totally screwed it. And you're, you know, you're in front of 10,000 people rocking out, but you can't even really hear the drums, keep time, thing in tune. So it, like stuff like that just happens, you know. Maybe, I don't know if it just happens in South Africa, but uh, a bunch of crappy stuff like that. I would say that, that would probably be just, I mean, I can't specify a single one. You know, and, and I'd say we just learned over time. There were times when, like, I remember us playing a festival up near Durban and finishing off a bottle of tequila and more before getting on stage and, like, falling all over the stage. That was probably around the time when we decided, actually, I think we need to grow up a little bit if we're going to keep doing this, you know. Like, actually physically falling off the stage is not a great look. I wouldn't think so, no. Jeez. and. You know, what have you guys been doing to prepare for live shows now after such an absence? You know, I like I, for example, I I sing. I mean, I train my voice every day and I'm rehearsing the set every day and we'll only be playing our first shows in October. So I'm like ironing out every last kink and now and also just getting into moving again. So like, you know, just back here, you know, there's the microphone. Um, there's an amp down here. There's the guitar and so on. So it's we're you know we're just getting ready to go and uh, and yeah and so that's it. It's really just practice. So we're practicing alone at first, and then we'll get into a room and just kind of turn up the heat. Yeah, yeah. And back in those days where the shows were you know nearly all the time, what was your pre-show and post-show ritual? How did you psych yourself up, and how did you calm down afterwards? Yeah, initially, as it, it, we psyched ourselves up with tequila until that didn't work anymore. Um, 
And then after, you know, after that, I can't even remember actually what we did, but we definitely had rituals where, and we definitely hang out together and really kind of get aligned. We'd sing together to warm up. We'd have a, you know, the huge hug and really just like a kind of a mutual appreciation um, before going on. And I'd say the same afterwards, like a warm down and just like, uh, okay. And then go and talk to people and, um, and be with family and friends and yeah. You know, say you played a massive stage, 25,000 people on a Friday night. You wake up Saturday morning. You kind of have the post-gig, post-tour blues. How did you used to deal with it? Yeah, it's kind of weird, you know, like trying to like go out and, you know, go and get a, you know, go get a coffee in the morning. It is, it, it's it's very weird trying to, occupying both universes at the same time. I mean, ultimately playing, you know, it might look like something extraordinary, but everything becomes normal and and it's your job and, and it's a, the most beautiful thing to do. So you just come home and, you know, you wash your face and you, you're buzzed as, you know, you're so buzzed and so like getting unbuzzed is a bit of an issue before sleeping. And then you wake up the next day and it's it's just real life. But it is simultaneously this sort of weird paradox of like, how do I move from that to to simple things? Um, it does involve in a way like a lot of grounding and like exercise and just seeing friends who, who you know, just see you as you and and so just reintegrating like that because it can it can distort you. Yeah. You know, if you're identifying with that other reality as yourself. Mm. Would you find then that friends and people you knew beforehand would kind of treat you differently or start to look at you differently? Um, I kind of was gonna say yes and no, because yes, I suppose they were along for the journey, but also no, like it was that's what's so helpful about friends is is. I mean, it's exciting for everyone. We're all like, we're all at the show and then partying together afterwards or whatever else it is. And and so if there was a whole scene for us all to enjoy, let's just say, but it was far beyond our band. Um, but but it's also like that level of connection and checking in and just talking about real life stuff. That's actually like the lifeline. I mean, it's a lifeline for all of us. And And I'd say that's the stuff that kept me sane was connection and just like, not being anybody because it's also weird like for many years i couldn't get really through a south african shopping center without signing autographs that sort of stuff and um that that stuff plays with your head i could imagine and you know when you toured the uk and the usa i imagine once you came back other people in the music scene probably looked looked at you guys differently. Did this like, oh, these guys are big, big shots now. They've been overseas. Well, there was maybe some of that, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the, the reality of the of touring in, in those places was very, very gritty. You know, it wasn't like we were playing, um, you know, the O2 arena or anything like that. So we were doing the hard yards. Uh, actually, in South Africa, we were playing much bigger shows. Um, so if if nothing else, actually, more than anything else, actually, it was more of the festival stages that we played in here in South Africa that really stuck in people's minds. And they were the ones that they'd see online and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And nowadays, compared to back then, how would you measure success? 
what does success mean to you? I'd say the very, very, very first thing is enjoyment and enjoyment and, and the health of it. Not just having fun, but just like the emotional health, the mental and emotional health, the sense of alignment to you know in my life and and in our lives. Um, so that, that involves also the relationships between us as we make. I have to say that they feel healthier than ever now. Or it's just like a little bit more older and generous, and some of those edgy edges of have softened, you know. Um, and so the primary would be that, but also then the creativity, like really putting out good work I, I i feel more yeah even more focused about producing significant or, or or quality work like i'd say i've never focused even never focused as much for example lyrically on getting every last syllable to to be impeccable or as close as i can get to it um so i suppose that it would be beautiful to let, get people to hear it and to have some success it's not the primary driver but at the same time any artist who doesn't who says they don't they produce work with no interest in an audience is probably lying um and so i'm not gonna lie about that <laughs> <laughs> and say 30 40 years time then you look back at your career what do you hope your legacy is i'd say by the end of the span of it all i'd like to have put out a body of beautiful work that contributes, that's healthy in a way. You know, our music has evolved. Uh, I'd say even the lyrical content, we were like really naughty 12 years ago, but it, you know, it wasn't necessarily um, particularly work. Um, so, uh, and it's not about being woke or not work. It's more just about, it's 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 just about positively contributing and, and without trying too hard, like making art, but I'm gonna say even making art with, with some heart in it, and the willingness to be authentic, even about our like crappiest parts and and our like most shut down, um, shamed parts, they're all welcome to the party. So it's like authentic, authentic, beautiful work. That's what I, I'd like for us to have made. Right, right. And before we dive into the last couple of questions, then future plans, lay it all out first. Where do you go from here? Yeah, so we've, you know, we've got these giant folders of sketches and, and, and it's, it's just like mushrooming. I think we've, we've this EP of three tracks, we'd already had something like 60, 70 ideas that we were picking those three from and, and the mushroom cloud or the mushroom just keeps growing. And, and so we're going to keep releasing more material. Um, yeah. And, and then, and then we're working towards October onwards, starting to, to play shows again. And I think, you know, we want to, I think we'd like to put out some some intelligent content, you know, like that's part of the art, let's just say now, and it wasn't so much when, when we were last at this. So I think we would like to work out how to do that. Um, so it's really just make music and play. Brilliant, brilliant. And I have to ask, I'm from Europe. So are you guys going to eventually come back over here or go to the States? Yeah, we'd really, really love to. So we've all, yeah, we're kind of beginning the work on that. Uh, yeah, we really, really, really want to. Our sound is, I think, is pretty friendly for like a UK, um, Ireland uh, kind of market and New York market and that sort of stuff. It's kind of indie and um, like, yeah. Yeah, it definitely goes down well over here anyway. And uh, we'll dive into the last few. So there uh We'll start you off easy. If you didn't, if you weren't a musician, what do you think you'd be doing? 
Well, I, I already do, you know, I already, I'm a trauma facilitator and I work, um, uh, I work with people's voices, but also work with a ton of trauma. And so I do that. I would never not be a musician. Like it's, it'd be a little bit like putting out the fires inside. I think it would just be like my whole system would just power down and I cease to exist. But I love to help supporting people to be emotionally healthy and helping them get through really hard things. Uh, I've done a lot of my, you know, to that own, my, that journey myself. Um, so I like to to share that, and I love to pour that into the music too. You know, it's just like the real gritty reality of being a kind of a functioning, healthy, loving human being on this earth. It's not always easy for some people. You know, they had charmed families, and that's awesome. Uh, or and just a, you know, they kind of got off scot free. But there are a ton of other folk who ended up needing to do a lot of work to to even just to function so i'm kind of in their camp and uh, i like being in that support crew yeah yeah and right this will be interesting if you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only who would it be great question i i think i would probably teleport back and take a tab of acid and watch Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> that would be a pretty sweet night, all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, and uh, we'll get slightly weird now. If you had to be locked in a room with any musician from history, who would it be for 24 hours? 24 hours. Um, I think it might be Tom York. Right, right, really. You had, yeah. I'd like to. I'd like to talk to him. You know what? I'm going to take that back. I'm sorry, I'm taking it back. I'm, I'm choosing Nick Cave. Right. Hang out with Nick Cave. He's. I'd like to talk poetry and lyrics and life. I don't know how much time you spent around his red hand files um, and his writing. He's just a brilliant writer and a huge heart and a soul. I feel like it'd be a very deep twenty-four hours, though. Yeah, exactly. Look, it wouldn't be the most playful. <laughs> True that. Yeah. Who would you choose? Who would I choose? Oh, God. Uh, I feel like it changes daily, but uh, someone that I always come back to is Jim Morrison, even though it wouldn't be the healthiest 24 hours. <laughs> you need a little therapy afterwards, but it'd be pretty awesome that 24 yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> and the final one. So if there was a song to appear on the soundtrack to your life, what would it be? I'm going to go with the, the single that we released a few weeks ago, um, uh, Blue Jean Skies. That's a really personal story about the first time I fell in love. And I just I thought I was going to want it to be with her forever. And and then I froze. I was like a block of wood around her, even though we were going out. And I lost all my spontaneity and joy. And it was just like falling apart really slowly while being completely smitten with someone. And at the same time, and that song has got this total bittersweetness of just like these, like this blue jean skies. I'm, I'm like, you know, young and the sky is blue jean colored and there are these radiant clouds. And it's just this terror of being a human being. And uh, I, I love the emotion in it. Um, 
I love the groove in it, which is a bit of an Afrobeat groove. I, I, I'd play that one. And and when I when I originally sketched it, it started off as like an Aphex Twin style selected ambient works ambient piece and then developed into this kind of Afrobeat electronica kind of thing. I love that song. So I'd love you all to listen to it. Has to be that one. So listen, Jeremy, I've really enjoyed chatting with you now. Thanks a million for coming on. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. It's been awesome talking to you too. Thank you for the just the exposure and and for doing what you do.
Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.